Views and opinions expressed by callers, guests, and hosts do not necessarily reflect those of the Black Talk Radio Network and Black Talk Media Project. Black Talk Radio is new black media for the new millennium. Trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil. When the feast that feeds you starves our father's children. When snuff porn and pedo forms begin to get top billing, rise up. When famine claims millions, when justice gives blind eyes to billions, when the Lord's anger is no longer feared, if his protection is gone and your enemies are near, if you've seen the seas spill over and the mountains shake, break, and fall, if the moon ever turns blood red and you can't see the sun at all, rise up. We're going to perform a song. It's called A Letter to the Free. And it's from a film directed by Ava DuVernay called the 13th and it's about the 13th amendment how it still says that slavery is alive alive if you are a criminal so this whole song and piece is about mass incarceration freedom freedom come hold on won't be long freedom Freedom come, hold on, won't be long. Southern leaves, southern trees we hung from, barren souls, heroic songs unsung. Forgive them, Father, they know there's not as undone. Tied with the rope that my grandmother died. Pride of the pilgrims affect lives of millions. Since slave days separating fathers from children. Institution ain't just a building. But a method of having black and brown bodies fill them. We ain't seen as human beings with feelings. Will the U.S. ever be us, Lord willing? For now we know the new Jim Crow, the stop, search, arrest of our souls. Police and policies patrol, philosophies of control. A cruel hand taking hold. We let go to free them so we can free us. America's moment to come to Jesus. Come on. Freedom. Freedom. Freedom come, hold on, won't be long. Freedom, freedom come, hold on, won't be long. The cage bird sings for freedom to bring. Black bodies being lost in the American dream. Blood of black being a pastoral scene. Slavery still alive. Check Amendment 13. Now whips and chains are subliminal Instead of N-word, they use the word criminal Sweet land of liberty, incarcerated country Shot me with your gun, and now you want to stump me Prison is a business, America's the company Investing in injustice, fear and long-suffering 
We staring in the face of hate again The same hate they say will make America great again No consolation prize for the dehumanized For America to rise is a matter of black lives And we gon' free them so we can free us America's moment to come to Jesus Come on Slavery. Peace and welcome to New Abolitionist Radio on the Black Talk Radio Network, a program that seeks to educate, inform, and agitate, agitate, agitate on the issue of 21st century legalized slavery. Hosted by social activist and spoken word poet Max Parthas with New Abolitionist and Actionist Johanna Elia and Black Talk Media Project founder Scotty Reed. On this program, we discuss recent news on legalized 21st century slavery and human trafficking, along with projects and people who help combat it. Today is 
January 18, 2017. The broadcast of New Abolitionist Radio, we're three weeks deep, 2017. And two days before the official reign dictator facilitator in chief, Donald Trump. One day after Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday remembrances. The opening song you heard was from the movie 13th by director Ava DuVernay. Featuring Common, Common and found that Black Global Jukebox titled A Letter to the Free, a song about market slavery, including mass incarceration. We got a bunch of stories, events, breaking news, wins and losses to share as it pertains to the abolitionist movement. So let's skip the long intro to today's and get to it. I'm sure. A rider of the 21st Century Underground Railroad is Reginald Adams, who was exonerated on May 12, 2014, after spending nearly 34 years in prison for a murder he did not commit. Our abolitionist in profile this week is Josiah Henson, June 15, 1789, May 5, 1883. Also, undeservedly vilified as Uncle Tom. He was an author, abolitionist, and minister. Born into slavery in Port Tobacco, Charles County, Maryland, he escaped Upper Town, Canada, now Ontario, in 1830, and founded a settlement and laborer school for other fugitive slaves at dawn near Dresden in Kent County. You can now listen to the live stream on Black Talk Radio's YouTube page. If you'd like to share a comment or question, call in toll free from the U.S. and Canada at 1 866 510 or 704-802-5056. You can chat with us and others by logging in at uberconference.com slash Black Talk Radio Network. Uh, once again, I'm Max Parthas. What's happening, Brother Scotty? What's up, you honey? There's a strange sound in the background, too. I don't know what that strange sound would be. Uh, I was muted. Um, yeah, but your line was sounding kind of funny there at times, but, um, yeah, we could make out what you were saying. Uh, Max, hey, man, I was almost brought to tears listening to that. Well, actually, I got to watch the video, so y'all only heard the audio listening audience, um, but I'm sure Max has shared that on New Abolitionist Radio, but I would like to dedicate that to uh, the modern day uh, prisoners who are enslaved and it I mean man I, I'm really moved by that because I was paying attention to the words and they were talking about slavery in present tense not past tense and they were telling who were they telling to hold on but the I don't want to call them I don't want to dehumanize them by calling them slaves but they, they are slaves they are, in fact, slaves. If I need to say that to get it through people's head that this isn't just, you know, a criminal justice system. This is a plantation system. It's a continuation of the plantation system. And so I was really moved that they were using uh, present tense uh, words in telling uh, those who are who are enslaved today to hold on. Freedom come. You know, it's coming. It's coming, um, and and we on we on the outside. I'm, I'm sorry, Max. I'm, I was. What, what was I'm that? agreeing. I said it moved me. Yeah, yeah. So it was very, very moving. And shout out to Commons and all those common and all those artists who participated, because now they're they had the ability to make abolition mainstream because of their high uh, profiles in, in showcase being showcased in the system. And so I, this is this is a bit you know a big thing to me 
uh, coming from an artist of his stature, I, I don't know the names of the other people involved, but it was a very beautiful piece. And it spoke to the issue as it should be, as a problem that we are going to solve. And so to the victims of modern-day slavery and human trafficking, hold on. Indeed, and I believe it was performed at the White House. Um, it moved me on so many levels because, you know, I've watched the evolution of Cummins and how he looks at this thing they call mass incarceration. And by the time he got to the point with the 13th, his ideas and his perspectives are starting to change more towards being an abolitionist. And then to see him finally come out and say it like that, I felt like we, you know, the work we're doing here helped push them in that direction and in that influenced them to come to that final conclusion. And to see him, you know, just do it like at the White House like that and give it such a whole high profile uh, perspective really made me feel good. We need more and more like that who are just willing to just say it like it is. He's still dealing with a little bit of conflict, but I think he's overcoming coming it now. Johanna? Well, peace, brothers. <clears throat> good to be here again this week. Uh, yeah. I mean, it... Peace, common, common says a lot in this song. Of course, like Scotty said, he's talking about modern day. Yep. Yeah. He's talking about modern day slavery. Um, he says straight up, you know, slavery is still alive. Check Amendment 13. I mean, that's in the that's mm -hmm. in the song. Uh, not whips and chains. Um, <clears throat> it's for the eyes that are subliminal. Instead of nigga, they use the word criminal. So, I mean, that's everything yeah. we talk about. <clears throat> that's, that's what the evidence. That that's what the evidence proves. So, yeah. So it's all right there. But uh, yeah, good to uh, to be back this week. I'm glad y'all didn't ban me from the show after my. <clears throat> my performance last week, but we won't. We'll, what what uh, happens on New Abolitionist Radio this time stays on New Abolitionist Radio. <laughs> oh man, I just I figure I just get out ahead of any kind of jokes because uh, I, I know Scotty might have a couple, a couple he want to throw at me. So we'll, <laughs> we'll see how it goes. Hey, hey actually, I I had forgot about that rip. <laughs> All right, well, man, it's been gotta, a busy week. Uh, for for me and you know Scotty and I got together again the second time we managed to physically get together you me mom tribal uh, I, I was real happy to see you, brother indeed to, to, you know just shake your hand build with you in person a minute you know oh yeah oh yeah no uh, feeling is is mutual uh, Max uh, like brother Davis was just talking about on Tando radio show when he got to meet Dave. And, and whatnot and how he wants wants to meet me but I mean we're already connected even though some of us have never met face to face I mean that's just a sign of the times that we have been able to coordinate with hundreds I mean really over a thousand thousands of people especially through move abolition I mean excuse me move to abolish 21st century slavery utilizing social media tools to spread our abolitionist message in addition to the radio program and as Max mentioned we're expanding into to all the other platforms through live streaming um, um, so so you know um, it's just it's just great that when we can meet face to face but it's also um, shows you the power of technology when we could coordinate these things and see real change, man. This that song represents real change. 
It represents real change. Let me say it again. It represents real change. And so what I be trying to tell people, man. Hold on to hope. Freedom is coming. They deserve a Grammy. We're talking about an abolitionist movement in the 21st century. How can you not think freedom isn't coming? We didn't do this to lose this. This is it's going to happen. We're going to fight and we're going to win. And every day our ranks are growing hugely. I mean, we just had a call last night. Me and Johanna were part of it. We're just an organization represented for the upcoming million uh, march. Uh, against prison slavery in Washington, D.C. Is, is just phenomenal. Wait till August 19th. You're going to be like, oh, my God. I was That was certainly a moving experience as well last night, uh, just, you know, seeing that hope and, oh, and being a part of the hope of the future Max. Uh, and, and try to put this all together. Yeah, um this isn't part of the lineup of the stories I know I had posted in the planning group uh, that I didn't have any stories to contribute but I do just want to make a quick mention um, I, I will be putting out some videos uh, about this particular subject but I came across a YouTube channel and they had put out this video about, about slavery and human trafficking and I forget the name of the website. I got it bookmarked and all that, but I'll put that stuff together. But this is what I came across. Another group that rightly points out that slavery and human trafficking still exists, but they, and then they even mirror the language of the human rights uh, language in the Declaration of Human Rights and where it abolishes slavery in all its forms. They use that same language. And then they talk about all these different countries and they point out all these different industries that are using prison slave labor and they talk about the illegal human trafficking trade. But I kept searching, I kept searching, no mention of prison slavery. And it is not unique to the United States because the Correction Corporation of of America, these Wall Street traded companies, um, um, GEO Group, they are global. They are global and they're operating in other countries and working with other governments to spread legalized slavery and human trafficking. And so when these organizations utilize abolitionist language and they rightly point out the illegal and that's a worthy cause to get behind. But at the same time, you're ignoring the fact that legalized slavery still exists. So again, like you said, common in in the past just had not quite come to the fact that this is slavery and he's reached that point now with this song is demonstrated in this song and and he points everyone directly to the exception clause in the 13th amendment. So it is my hope that we can influence those groups that are are fighting a very worthy fight and and cause. People are being uh, um, traded on the open market. Slavery is is real, but we're not talking about the illegal kind. So if you could also incorporate in your mission or acknowledging that, that this is slavery too. Because it is. And so, you know, I don't mind co-mingling and, and pointing out to people. I mean, we talk about black and missing. That's part of the human trafficking and, and all that kind of stuff. But I will partner with other organizations like that. But they have they have they have to come to the realization that these very governments 
that they may be taking money from or they may be uh, giving accolades to or, or what have you are involved in legalized slavery and human trafficking right in front of their face. And I don't blame them because they're a victim of the programming and, and, and the miseducation just like everybody else on the planet who believes so, and myself included at one point. But I, I just I came know, across that, and I just had to but, to to make note of it. Uh, just to add to that, Scotty, I've seen the change with my own eyes. You know, just this weekend I was up at Azul uh, Artist Gathering, and we was up there building, and I gave a abolitionist workshop. And as I always do, the first thing I ask is how many people here now are already slavery abolitionists. And I told you before, the first time I'd ever seen all the hands raised up was in Missouri when I was with Johanna. Like, everybody was already slavery abolitionists. Now it's becoming normal. Like, almost everybody's got their hand up. I'm already a slavery abolitionist. And I didn't talk. I don't have to convince people anymore like that. And then last night, with the conversation we had representing uh, multiple large organizations across the country, the one thing we all agreed on without even questioning it was abolition. Am I right, Johanna? Yeah, that was probably the uh, the most uh, impactful thing that you know, other than the meeting itself even taking place and what we're discussing and, and coming together with the uh, with the march. But that was probably the most impactful aspect of it to me was hearing every person that spoke in the round table uh, coming with their own perspective on abolitionism, uh, which indicates that they are already active in some way to end modern day slavery, not just people saying, yeah, I've heard of it. That sounds cool. People saying, you know, yeah, I want to hear more about it. I, I think I'm probably for it. Like none of that. It wasn't people that was putting their toes in. It was people was coming to the conversation uh, with both feet firmly planted in the truth. Like, yeah, I know one thing we're going to talk about. This is going to be about abolition. So it was, yeah. it wasn't even a situation where I felt like we had to be the most adamant, the most militant, the most, you know, uh, ready to go fire and brimstone. They was already fired up. Like, what else is there to talk about? So, right, right, and that's again, you know, that's the collective work that we're all been, we've been all been doing to get this out there. It's nothing to be ashamed of about being an abolitionist. You know, it's, it's everything right about being an abolitionist because not only are you presenting people with the real problem that we're dealing with just by being one, but you're also providing them with the answer to that problem by being one. The abolition is the way to end it. The dominoes will fall. Uh, I believe so. And uh, I just want to give a quick shout out too to uh, Omari Fox from Black Lives Matter out in Columbia and Camille from North Carolina who uh, sponsored our trip to North Carolina to give an abolitionist workshop this weekend. Also want to give a shout out to Coletta Bailey and Real Real Productions who uh, who organized a, a homeless help the homeless event where we got three truckloads of goods for the homeless of Columbia, South Carolina in the event that we participated in just a couple of days ago on the 16th. So shout out to her. I was uh, proud to be a part of that. All right. Well, we got some stories that uh, we have on our list today. I put the first one up on New Abolitionist Radio. You know, we talk a lot about how these corporations like the Geo Group and uh, 
SPCA, which is now CoreCivic, uh, changed their name just last year to avoid all the drama that is facing them as the number one private prison company in the world. Uh, we've told you about how they've reached across the whole globe, how Brazil has privatized their uh, prisons, some of the worst prisons in the world, how even in Israel with the Palestinians or in private uh, Palestinians or in private prisons, how an entire nation like Australia can have all private prisons. It's completely private. Uh, together. This, is, this is a global problem. It's in France where 70% of the people who are in French prisons are uh, black Muslims, <laughs> 70%. And the same thing is happening in the UK. You can hear uh, activists like Akala talk about what's going on in the UK. So this is a global problem, and we're all coming together on a global level. But I think America is going to lead the way on how to answer it. In any case, we want to give you some actionable information about the banks that are supporting these private prisons so you can take your money out of it. I've had several people ask me, you know, these questions about banks uh, having their money invested in private prisons, so I don't have to use them. So we provided you with a list today. Um, and this list comes from globalcentral.com, and it says, as America's incarcerated and detained populations have boomed in recent years, the business of owning and operating prisons and jails has grown into a multi-billion dollar industry. A new report under, uncovers which Wall Street banks financed the industry's two leaders, that being CoreCivic, formerly Corrections Corporation of America, CCA, and the GEO Group. The banks that finance private prison companies show that six banks have played large roles in bankrolling CoreCivic and the GEO Group. Number one, Wells Fargo. And we all know Wells Fargo goes all the way back to insurance claims during the times of slavery. They certainly owe quite a bit in reparations. Max, the next would be Bank Max, of Max, before, yes. yeah, let's break down some of these groups, though. I'm glad you pointed out that uh, they go back to pre-1865 slavery, as well as a couple of other institutions, primarily insurance companies. But but now, this is a video I just, man, I'm so busy. I, I got a whole lot of stuff uh, on the, on the uh, workshop floor right now. But did y'all see the video of the white woman or read the story of the white, about the white woman who wanted a Wells Fargo personalized credit card or banking card. They let you design your own. She put Black Lives Matter on it with the black power fist on, on her card. They declined, said that Black Lives Matter was offensive. So black people that work at Wells Fargo, uh, black people who bank with Wells Fargo, uh, black churches who deposit your parishioners, uh, your congregations, uh, donations to the cause into this bank, okay? Wells Fargo just told you black lives don't matter. They said black lives matter is offensive. That's offensive to them, okay? And, and, yes, it is. And, and so, so, but my whole thing was, you know, she was talking about that was her way of, of countering racism. Look, no matter how small, how large, somebody's doing something. I know there are people who criticize her or, or, or what what have you. Look, we want white people to confront racism, all right? And that's what she said she was trying to do with that card to let other white people know when she hand them that card that don't automatically assume that I'm for white supremacy, okay? I'm paraphrasing what, what, what she said. 
and and I thought it was uh, ingenious. Uh, what would we call it? Um, um, psychological operation, because that's what she running. She running a psychological operation on people, a psychological exercise, however you want to want to call it, propaganda warfare on them. So when Wells Fargo, um, you know, just said the black flat out Black Lives Matter are offensive. So I'm not hearing anybody from any community talking about uh, divestment. Well, excuse me, we just had uh, Sister Nataki on uh, last week, was it? Um, about divesting black dollars yeah. from from me. I think we were t- she was talking about businesses. I don't know if they identify banks on that list, but yeah, <laughs> Wells Fargo is a business, and 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 so man, hey, my mom man uh, took her funds out. She was with Wells Fargo until I told her, and, and it took about six months, but she made that move because people will make excuses. They may have been with Wells Fargo for years. Again, they've been around since pre-1865 slavery. But again, then, well, don't complain about injustice. Don't complain about slavery, even if you calling it mass incarceration. Don't complain about any of this stuff if you're not willing to do a nonviolent action like that to defund slavery. So those those are, are, are my comments on Wells Fargo's number one place on the list. The second one is Bank of America. Any information on Bank of America? Oh, same thing. Lots of black people, lots of people who say they want to promote justice bank with these uh, uh, people. They're well, mainstream. I found some information on Bank of America. It says Bank of America found that two of its predecessor banks, Boatman Savings Institution and Southern Bank St. Louis, has ties to slavery and other predecessors, Bank of Metropolis, uh, Metropolis accepted slaves as collateral on loans. So, as a matter of fact, wow, I've got the list of at least three of these banks that we have on here and what their relations was. Wells Fargo, for instance, uh, Georgia Railroad and Banking Company and the Bank of Charleston owned or accepted slaves as collateral. They later became part of Wells Fargo by way of Wachovia. Also in the 2000s, Wells Fargo targeted blacks for predatory lending. So number two would be Bank of America. Number three is J.P. Morgan Chase. J.P. Morgan Chase is also the ones that owned JPay, where the prisoners are really being extorted for uh, interest rates on them and costs to use their cards. Even when they get out, uh, they you have these, the money left on there that they they use. But uh, JPay is extorting. J.P. Morgan Chase right now is extorting prisoners. Anything on that, fellas, that you want to say? J.P. Well, Morgan. Let me read yeah. what they say. I'm sorry. Uh, J.P. Morgan. Go ahead, Scott. Yeah. Um, they handle, because, you know, I, I did have custody of my girls, and I was getting child support, and uh, they had them cards, um, um, and they have all those fees on it and what have you that the bank is making. That's J.P. Morgan here in North Carolina. So they also profiting off of child support, which is used to put a lot of people into slavery. Even though they say debtors' prisons are outlawed, so if you fall behind as a poor person, uh, uh, especially a black male, where your job opportunities ain't looking too good out there, and and so you fall behind, 
Well, they ain't trying to hear the job market. Yeah, you can turn in your little list about the jobs you've been looking for and all of that. But, hey, that bill gets too big, you're going to jail. You know what I'm saying? So J.P. Morgan profits off of it in that way as well. That's part of the system, I feel. The petition for reparations from these particular banks that I posted on New Abolitionist Radio, they say J.P. Morgan Chase recently admitted their company's links to slavery, saying today we're reporting that this research found that between 1831 and 1865, two of our predecessor banks, Citizens Bank and Canal Bank in Louisiana, accepted approximately 13,000 enslaved individuals as collateral on loans and took ownership of approximately 1,250 of them when the plantation owners defaulted on the loans, the company wrote in their statement. You just admitted it. You know what I mean? Like, it's right there in black and white. The next one uh, is TNT Paribus. Now, I've never even heard the name before. Are you guys familiar with TNT Paribus? No, no, no. I'll just do a quick word search, PNB Paradise and Slavery, and boom, you'll find something just that quick in the age of knowledge, man. It's amazing. Um, bad work culture and slavery attitude by management. This is something someone wrote there, so I'd have to look deeper into it, but I've never heard of them. Apparently, they're number four on the list. The next one is SunTrust. Uh, any knowledge of SunTrust? Yeah, SunTrust Bank. They're big uh, sponsors of professional sports teams. Got a couple of stadiums named after them. Uh, maybe even got a college bowl. I think they got college bowl games, um, you know, that they sponsor as well. So, but, yeah, SunTrust is a huge bank. Yeah, there's right, a branch. The last one is U.S. Bancorp. Yes, no, I was going to say there's a Sun Trust in the little town of Stanley that's right above me. And, uh, but Bank of America also, that's the name of the stadium in Charlotte, North Carolina, where the Panthers play. And the final one is U.S. Bancorp. And apparently all of these have gotten rich off slavery. The report also reveals how these banks profit from providing credit, bonds, and loans to private prison companies. The report concluded with a call for banks to stop financing the private prison industry. The report's key findings include six banks play large roles in financing CCAs and GEO Group's debts. Wells Fargo, Bank of America, J.P. Morgan Chase, BNP, Paribus, SunTrust, and U.S. Bank Corp. At the end of June 2016, CCA had total debts of $1.5 billion, and Geo Group had total debts of $1.9 billion. And immigration, uh, $1.9 CCA and Geo Group have relied on debt financing from banks to expand their control of the criminal justice and immigration enforcement systems by acquiring smaller companies that provide community correction services like residential re-entry and electronic monitoring while they're trying to corner the market is basically what you're saying on slavery. Further says banks profit from collecting fees and interest on credit, bonds, and loans, as well as from owning or investing their clients' money in shares of CCA and Geo Group. Financing enables both CCA and Geo Group to operate as real estate investment trusts. 
REITs, which reduces their income taxes. There's a video, it's uh, about eight minutes long, nine minutes long, you can watch on the web, Abolitionist Radio also that goes deeper into that story. From what you were uh, reading from and the information you know, that you've been given and naming off companies, I mean, I've found over the years several others that weren't even named in that, that you know, they still have the, the same thing, you know, ties to the original names of the companies, the types of business they started out with, and you know, it's the very uh, pillars of Wall Street, uh, whether it's the banks, whether it's the insurance companies, or even the uh, uh, institutions of higher learning, the best schools, so to speak, so they say in America. Um, we already talked about, like, with insurance companies, you know, Aetna, AIG. I don't know if people understand how deep that goes that <clears throat> we reported on this program several years ago um, where we found uh, links to the actual original insurance policies at some of these companies. So you're looking at insurance policies that are numbering in the double and triple digits. I'm not lying to you. I mean, when you've got insurance policies that say the name of a slave, what type of work that slave does in the name of his owners, and the policy number is 0003031 or 001239. I mean, these are the literally the first insurance policies of some of these companies and they're still to this day multi-billion dollar operations and it and it literally started by insuring slaves so that's just on the insurance side the, the uh, banks like you said Bank of America which is kind of where we started uh, came out of a bank called the Bank of uh, Metropolis which took slaves as collateral um, I don't know how many people know the company Brooks Brothers they not only made uh, clothing so to speak for slaves out of the rough <clears throat> what they call it a uh, burlap material just making shirts and pants for men and shirt like dresses for the women or whatever little kids walk around naked with just a shirt on I mean this is what they made money off of selling burlap bags turned into shirts to plantation owners and as they built up their cash funds is how they started to make clothing and start making clothes for the war efforts uh, and then went on to continue to make uh, uniforms for all types of armies all around the world. So Brooks Brothers' hands is in, is in the blood. Um, a company called Brown Brothers Harriman, they um, started out uh, as a Wall Street bank that owned hundreds, maybe even thousands of slaves, and also lent out millions and millions of dollars to Southern planters to get them on their feet. Um, so they traded in cotton for, you know, hundreds of years. And this is also the same people, the Brown Brothers Harriman Bank, these are the same brothers who gave money to create Brown University. So mm -hmm. these are slave traders. Brown University was created by two slave trading brothers. And this is considered to this day one of the top universities in this nation. So when we talk about these things, the reason I become passionate about it anyway is because I know for a fact that what I'm fighting against and trying to wake people up to is not some crazy conspiracy theory. This is conspirat conspiratorial fact that the country itself was literally created off of slavery. And the most deeply rooted institutions of education, finance, insurance are all literally created off of slavery. And those companies have continued to generate billions of dollars off of this same predatory mentality, 
the same theory, the same practices are still going on. I, I just don't know how we could tell you any more clearly the name of the damn business, the name of the schools, the names of the banks, the names of the insurance companies, the names of the current Wall Street companies is still using these practices, whether they're investing in private prisons, whether they're lobbying legislators to create laws like tougher sentencing and multipliers of sentences for one charge to another, multiply at the time, whether they're writing uh, laws that create 20-year contracts with states that can be 80% full to capacity, 90% full to capacity, or even 100% guaranteed full capacity population of the prison, those, are, those people are locked into those contracts because someone who is generating money off of that created that, put it into the contract, and then got it passed as being legal, and now you as a state taxpayer are locked into those contracts too. If, if crime goes down, which it has for the last 30 years, when crime goes down, they still have an obligation to pay for 100% population in the prison. How can you think we just over here playing around? Indeed, anyway, brother. CSM is another one. Uh, Harvard University. Uh, you talked about J.P. Morgan Chase. There was another one too. Uh, Princeton, I think, is on that list. Also, yes. uh, all these people were just rich off of slavery and just gave money to create these schools. Tiffany Jewelry mm -hmm. Company. Um, well, we talked about Wells Fargo, Yale. So I mean, it, it goes on. University of California. Yeah. So recently, that was thirty million dollars they had invested. These are the first endowments of these schools. There would not be a Yale, a Princeton, a Harvard, a Brown. Your Without Ivy that. League school, your Ivy League schools. Yep. There wouldn't be any of those without the endowment, the literal money from slave plantation owners. I, I don't. I don't know why people think we're playing around and we sound crazy. This is what, what world are you living in? And you know, we found out recently that the bail bondsmen, you know, a lot of these bail companies that provide you with this money, you have to uh, give them 10% of, and then they hunt you down if you don't pay back that 10%, guilty or whatever, whether you're guilty or innocent, doesn't really matter. Well, they get their money from insurance companies, insurance companies, <laughs> financed by a lot of these banks. Anyway, Yohan, um, if you don't mind, a new abolitionist radio, I put up a link just now with a list of what goes on with the prison labor in the United States today. Um, I know we went past our first break, Scotty, so do you want to go all the way through till nine? Uh, that, that's, I'm sorry, I thought I had mentioned that last week. If I didn't, uh, the two-hour oh, okay. programs we're well, changing. Well, Yohan is opening up. Okay. While Yohanan is opening up that and taking a look at what's inside there, I would like to uh, offer anybody who wants to chime in or ask a question, uh, just call us at 866-510-9025 or 704-802-5056. Uh, if you're already in the chat room there with the Uber conference, I believe there's something you can press. What is it, Scotty, in order for them to chime in? Just hit star, star. Just a double star. There you go. So if you're already in the room, we have quite a few people in there. Just feel free to, at this time, hit double star and uh, state your comment, name, and uh, where you're calling from. Right on. So um, from like what you were saying with this uh, prisonpolicy.org, uh, this is just going through the, you know, chronologically the the evolution of the prison economy and how it's always been based in slavery. So, you know, much like we give you the dates week to week and tell you 
the years and times and you know what happened to create all this this is you know they've compiled a list as well uh, as Max said it's already on the new abolitionist radio uh, page so you can open it up for yourself if you if you listen in live um, but it's, it's talking about the prison economy as far as prison labor we all know 1865 is when the 13th amendment was ratified so this is of course saying that slavery is a is punishment for a crime where a person can be duly convicted um, the Virginia Supreme Court declared the prisoners were quote unquote slaves of the state in 1871 um, the year that the Declaration of Rights passed everyone the right to form and join in trade unions for the protection of their interests is 1948 uh, Supreme Court upheld North Carolina's warden's ban on prisoners forming a labor union in 1977 so these years are again this is the evidence that we're basing the entire argument off of is based in factual occurrences and these dates are part of what we're talking about in 77 when the Supreme Court upheld the ban on prisoners forming labor unions that is right around the corner from when the private boost Right. These time frames are not accident and happenstance. These people are still doing this right now. The lobbyists that are involved with these corporations pay these legislators to pass these laws from the municipal level all the way up through state, and then the states do what they do, and then when the feds say no, then the states argue, it goes to Supreme Court, they lose the case, and then all of a sudden, policy changes. Now, the public sentiment can be whatever it wants to be. People can think what they want to think. It doesn't matter. The law says. People can think slavery is abolished, but the law says it's not. People can, we just talking crazy, oh, slavery. But the law says, yes, slavery. People can think that it's just punishment for the crime, that you should have to work as a slave in a prison. You should have to work for no pay. You should have to work for 72 cents a day. You should have to work for pennies an hour. You should. That's your payment to society. People think that that's what it is, but no, it's not about what you think. It's about legislators going and creating that environment to make it where you cannot get union representation in prison, you cannot get free right. fair wages. It's beyond our passion and our feelings and emotion. This is fact. Somebody went out and said, what we will not allow from the Supreme Court level on down, we will not allow these people to get paid anything equals to a fair wage. We want them to get a slave wage. But 20 millions of Americans that are walking around with their head clouds falling and, and we're crazy. This is the legislation that's already in industries in 1998 it was over 2,500. The minimum estimate of annual value of prison and jail industrial output output was over $2 billion. That's a minimum estimate. And we know that's got to be far off because just Unicor itself, Unicor itself is a billion-dollar contract with defense industries making $2 billion now. Somehow or another, damn near doubles, man, according to the records that have been coming out. The last record we have from 2012, here in 2016, it's near $2 billion. So for those who don't know, though, Unicor yeah. is owned by USA Inc., USA Inc. is what you call the United States of America. So this is a corporation which has 
uh, owns a corporation. I don't know who owns it. Is Barack Obama about to pass it off to Donald Trump? I mean, who own who who? You know what I'm saying? And where do the profits go? Right. Does it go? Do it go to the pension right. funds for the people in Congress and and the past presidents and and paying for all? I mean, where is that money go? Because I've never heard of a hearing or anything oversight over Unicor. I've never heard them brought Nothing. up. You know. So, so yeah, continue, please yeah. continue, uh, Johanna. All right. So it, it, when we're talking about Unicor, like we said, the contracts that we're talking about that they have with the United States uh, Federal uh, Department of Defense, with the Department of Defense and therefore defense contractors, you know, uh, Lockheed Martin, uh, Hughes, you know, the people that create jets, that create, that need the engines and need the circuit boards and need and the bombs that they drop, the laser-guided missiles and navigation systems. I mean, people, open up your mind to every weapon that's used in war, everything that is used to create war. And remember, the United States is engaged in nearly 140 different wars or conflicts around the globe right now. Like, we're not, this is not some made-up stuff. We are literally engaged in warfare of some sort or advising warfare in nearly 140 countries around the planet. And this is what's generating record profits for those companies that supply the war effort all around the world is they've got a slave labor, they've got a plantation with nearly 25,000 slaves on it in the federal prison system. So and instead of going down to Cuba, yeah, that's just unicorn. So instead of like, a, right. what was it, Django, instead of going down to Candyland and seeing two, 300 slaves running around looking crazy, you could just look at the federal prison system and see 25,000 slaves working for 15 cents an hour, 25 cents an hour. I mean, this is below the minimum wage paid in so-called third world countries. You're paying these people to create circuit boards and guidance systems. I mean, they're literally doing high tech work. This is not a joke. They're not even hiding it. It's on the Unicor website. They will show you what they're doing. They're making body armor. They're making the helmet. You know, if you don't mind me interrupting for a second, the sad thing is those who are working the 25,000, which is nearly a quarter of the available population, uh, those that are working are like the house Negroes of the old days because they're making a few dollars. You know what I mean? They, yeah. They're being able to pay for some of this stuff. They got jobs. $2 a day is better than $0 a day when you ain't got nothing, you know? Yeah, yeah. So again, this is just with Unicor, but now within this, in the private prison industries itself, as we talked about with the uprising in Wallace County two years ago, the, the waves of which the ripple effect still continues to this day with the, with the prison labor strike that went on uh, starting in, in August, uh, started back in August of last year, honoring the, the uh, uh, September 9th, rather honoring Attica, the Attica uprising. So these ripple right. effects continue on and these people continue to have slave revolts and the slave revolt news continues to be put down. People, we're living in a time where the media and the propaganda is doing the same thing that it was doing in the 1600s, 1700s, 1800s. There were hundreds and potentially thousands of slave revolts going on all during those years too. But they weren't gonna tell you about it. They weren't gonna tell you about the, the arson that was going on. They weren't gonna tell you about people that were being killed the livestock that was being destroyed, the, the goods that, that they were being, uh, and the, even the reputation of slaves, of black folks as being lazy. It's slaves malingering. They're not going to put out high productivity. They don't want, they don't want to be slaves. They're not going to just sit up here and just go work at high speed and do the best they can to make greater profits for the, 
No, they wouldn't work. So these are all things that have gone on for hundreds of years that people did to combat against it. And it's still to this day, they're still fighting against the work they're being forced to do for slave wages. And like I said, in Wallace County, they destroyed part of that prison where they had 2,000 men sleeping in, a, in tents, 200 beds in each tent, 10 tents around the outside of a prison that was made for 800 people. They had 2,000 men outdoors so they could send them into the labor portion of the prison to create plastic wear for McDonald's, to create uh, uh, uniforms for McDonald's employees and restaurants potentially all around the world. This is literally the facts of the matter. So the, so the list goes on and on, though. Uh, they're just talking about the sure, billion dollars. Really got to me. Oh, go ahead, Scotty. You were saying, Scotty? No, that was Johannes speaking. No, go ahead, Johannes. The, the part of the list that got to me was the uh, where we was talking about how much everybody's getting paid, where the money is going to, how much it costs. Like, uh, they start out cold-hearted. The percentage of able-bodied sentenced federal prisoners required to work in prisons, 100%. You hear that? One yeah. required to work. 100%. Number of prisoners working in Unicor alone, the federal prison industries, 22,560. Pay scale for federal prisoners who work outside of Unicor in prison, maintenance in dollars per hour is 12 cents to 40 cents. The minimum wage in Haiti in dollars per hour is, is 30 cents an hour. Percentage of federal prison prisoner workers who work for Unicor rather than in prison maintenance is 25%. So you got 25% more of the total now working outside of Unicor. Keep that in mind. Minimum Unicor wage in dollars per hour is 23 cents. 23 cents to make these uniforms, McDonald's, and work AT&T call centers. Maximum Unicor wage in dollars I mean, per hour is a dollar. I mean, That's if you don't have a reason to boycott McDonald's now, I mean, just simply because the food's not good for you and all of that. But uh, if you don't have a reason to stop, because also McDonald's is a corporation who sponsors killer radio stations in Chicago and all the other urban cities where you see, you know, crime. Um, and, and where they hear music, uh, Africans uh, are being told to blow off other African faces and people are being told to spike women's drinks. And uh, McDonald's sponsored that kind of music now. On right When you hear, uh, you deserve a break today, I don't know if they still use that slogan on your local Power 98 whatever radio station that's kicking out T.I. And T.I., please go sit down somewhere. Because you be telling black folks to kill other black folks in in your music, and you want to call other people, talk about some Willie Lynch syndrome. Come on now. You know, you what you trying to be a chameleon? But uh, yeah, guys, that's all I had. Well, a few of the other things, and I'll just go through real quickly, is uh, they started talking about more about the money. For instance, the number of prisoners that make for office furniture or the number of prisons where they make office furniture is 18. The average earning for someone 
a non-prisoner making office furniture is thirteen dollars and four cents an hour. Remember, they're only paying maximum but one dollar fifteen cents an hour. Guess what, Max? This area I live in used to be known for furniture making, but they ain't paying nobody uh, what you just cited when they can pay a slave to do it. Right. And there's 22 prisons that make clothing and textile, and their uh, average wor- workers earning outside of prison, prison for that is $11 an hour. There used and to be it, five cotton. Work, there used to be five textile mills. Uh, when I was growing up here, there is down to one. This is kind of an old piece of information, so consider most of this has increased since then. Unicor in 2001 had sales of $583.5 million. That was in 2001. Uh, amount purchased from Unicor in 2001 by the Department of Defense was $388 million. So of the $583 million in 2001, the Department of Defense was by far the largest customer at $388 million. The amount purchased from Unicor in 2001 by the U.S. Postal Service was $21 million. Even the Postal Service is using prisoners. Wow. Max. Number of prisoners, Unicor... Yes. One of the mills that closed down, I think it was in Lowell, right off of I-85. I know some people that used to work there, but they had a contract with uh, the U.S. military. Again, you think it's not impacting you. You think modern slavery is not impacting you. All right. But again, I am not joking. Anybody that lives in rural areas where textile was king, because cotton always been king in the South. All right. So that provided a lot of jobs. And now this little town, I, I'm, you know, I live close to, again, they had, I don't know how many mills in the other surrounding counties, but a lot of these places have closed. And it's not so much people talking about outsourcing. No, it's insourcing now. They taking your jobs to the prison plantation. So you can support all that hyper-criminalization all you want to. You can say black lives don't matter and, and all that nonsense. And you could turn a black eye to it. But guess what? It might literally be costing you your job. Literally. There was a, uh, a massacre. I believe it happened up in the Appalachian Mountains where at one point the uh, the workers there, I think they were working in mining, of course, uh, decided they no longer want to compete with slave labor, which was being used to convict leasing. So the miners, the mining companies were using black people as just convict leasing, you know what I mean? Throwing them into these mines and working the railroads and stuff like that. And the white workers on the outside was like, we're just paid for that. How are you going to take our jobs and do that? And it led to a massacre. Uh, and I believe that was also around the time that that law that uh, 1877 that Johannes spoke of was passed there where they would not allow prisoners to unionize. Um, the last two quotes out of here that I'm going to read is this, and it was a projection that they made uh, back in 2002. And they said uh, the number of prisoners Unicorn projects will be in federal prisons in 2009, they projected for 2009, was 211,516. The number of prisoners workers Unicor plans on hiring by 2009 is 32,000. Can you say that on. again? You want to know? You just look at that list. W- wait a minute. Is that how they wrote that? That Unicor plans yeah. to hire workers? Yes. We're not talking about workers, are we? We're not talking about the guards, are we? We're not talking. We're talking about slaves, right? 
How do you hire yeah. slaves? Yeah. You capture and kidnap slaves. That's what you do. So that's, you know, that's I believe true. in accuracy in reporting. It started out with percentage of able-bodied sentenced federal prisoners required to work in prisons 100%. And that's how it finished off with what I just told you. It's terrible. It's cold-hearted. And we blaming our children saying it's their fault they got arrested. <laughs> you growing up in hunting grounds, what do you think is going to happen? There's a chance, there's a percentage that every black man will go to jail one out of three. When I did the event at the homeless, uh, for the homeless just recently, I did an experiment. I said, according to the data, it's estimated that one in 110 American citizens will serve time in prison. Uh, I said, if you're here and you have a close family member in prison right now or in jail, raise your hand. And 90% of the hands went up in the room. 90 freaking percent. See, in some areas, it don't affect us the same as it does in others. Anyway, I hear music in the background. I guess it's break time. So you're listening to New Abolitionist Radio here on the Black Talk Radio Network with Max Parthas, Scotty Reed, and Yohanna Aliyah. We're talking about modern-day slavery and human trafficking. We'll be right back after these messages. Providing new black media for the masses. New Abolitionist Radio. Peace and welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio. As I said, we're talking about modern day slavery and human trafficking. Um, we're very solution or, uh, oriented, but at the same time, we want you to be aware of things that you face on a daily basis. We know very well what's going on here in America, and it's slavery. Um, I just shared something as well on New Abolitionist Radio. It is my full presentation on modern slavery abolition at the Carolina Human Rights Organizing Conference just this past 2016. Uh, if you want to uh, review it or maybe share it around, how or long is it, it Max? As a teaching resource and classes, how, it's available for you. How long is it, Max? Uh, it's an hour and six minutes, so oh, it's a okay. class. So All right. <laughs> it's an hour and six minutes, and it's there in its entirety. Uh, so, you know, as I said, it, as a teaching tool to help spread the information and the news and awareness, it's uh, a great asset and a tool for you to use. Um, I guess the story that I, I wanted to touch on tonight, and, I, and you guys may have some picks from this list that we have available here. If so, uh, is there something like you would want to cover at this point? Um, not me specifically. I'm actually working behind the scenes trying to get uh, the next right. uh, radio Johan? program up. Uh, Johan? Anything in particular you want to cover? Uh, um, I've got the inside Mississippi asset forfeiture thing open up. I want to go over that tonight. So, But before that, if there's anything you want to cover in particular, we can. 
Um, Johanan is off the board. Um, yeah, Johanan, your call dropped. Brother Braggs, I saw you unmute. Did you have a question or comment? Okay. All right. So, but anybody um, wants to make a question or comment, y'all could chime in. Y'all know we like rapid fire with these stories. We don't take breathers or nothing like that. So, um, yeah, we got Johanan back. Let's see, do a mic check on him. Johanan, we got you back, bro. Johanna, I'm here. Okay, all right. All right, go ahead. Johanna, any story that you want to cover before we go on to the Mississippi asset forfeitures? No, that's good. That's, uh, that's the next one up. Let's go. All right, no doubt. You know, we talk about slavery, and slavery is much more than just uh, one single system. Like, there's all these complexes that people talk about, whether it be the warrant industrial complex, the prison industrial complex, uh, the homeless industrial complex, the not-for-profit, the non-profit industrial complex, and on and on and on. But all of those subsystems are part of a larger whole, and the effects that slavery has is the same effects it had in the 1800. You see the same things happening the same way to the same people. One of those examples would be uh, the asset forfeiture laws, which violate our Fourth Amendment right. You know, we have no Fourth Amendment right, according to the law these days. And this is a story that comes out of Reason.com, and it says... It was the, uh, it's the story that says, it was the first time in Mississippi defense attorney Richard Rethel's long career that he can remember where police seized their client's furniture. <laughs> in 2012, Rethel said the Hinn County Sheriff's Office raided his client's apartment on suspicion her boyfriend was a drug dealer. Anything purchased with drug proceeds is fair game to be seized by police under civil asset forfeiture laws. And they determined the boyfriend had furnished the apartment, so off went her TV, her table and chairs, her couch, her lamps, and even the pictures on the wall. Her case is the first in my 38 years of practicing law where they took the furniture, Rethel said. Under a settlement agreement, all of it was eventually returned. Well, all of it except the couch. It is therefore ordered and a judge that one busy old television, one dining room table and chairs, pictures and lamps are to be returned to the plaintiff upon execution of this order by the court. The February 10, 2015 order in the Hins County Court reads, additionally, one white couch is hereby forfeited to the Hins County Sheriff's Office. They kept the couch. In order, the order in her case is one of hundreds contained in a tranche of court records and data collected by a Mississippi State Legislator Task Force studying asset forfeiture in the Mongolia State. The records, which include forfeiture orders from almost all the county and circuit courts in the state of 2000, in the state in 2015, offer a rare glimpse into Mississippi's asset forfeiture machine. The records show many seizures of cash, well over $100,000. The sort of big hauls that police say make asset forfeiture a vital tool to disrupt drug trafficking. But there are also many seizures of petty cash and cars and connection to a little more than misdemeanor drug possession charges. Many of those cases ended in settlements like Redfield's client where police only partially return money and property, arrangements that state officials say can give the appearance of a shakedown. For example, in April of 2015, the DeSoto County Sheriff's Department agreed to return a 2006 Chevy Trailblazer 
owned by the mother of the petitioner, Jesse Smith, in exchange for $1,650 in cash. As Reason has reported, in several cases, family members, especially parents, frequently have their cars seized for the alleged crimes of their children, even though the parents may not be charged or in any way connected to the illegal activity. I'm just going to read a little bit more, and then we'll be done. You can read the rest yourself on New Abolitionist Radio. According to the Mississippi Legislature's Joint Committee on Performance Evaluation and Expenditure Review, PEER, which analyzes government operations, such settlements can be problematic. In a July 15 letter obtained by Reason, PEER Executive Director James Barber wrote to State lawmaker Mark Baker that upon a cursory analysis of these orders, PEER staff notes that agreed orders tend to have the most potential for indicating possible abuse. And this is because most agreed orders are entered into upon a settlement agreement in which the arresting authority receives some or all of the forfeited property as a condition subsequent to some order of an agreement made between the arresting party and the defendant. As I said, you can read the rest on New Abolitionist Radio, but this is just a shakedown. And if you don't give up your cash or if you fight against it because there's no such thing as a little resistance, you usually end up in jail. And if you, you're not accused of anything, they don't have to give it back to you. According to the way the laws are set up, and the federal government is very aware of this and has been making certain moves towards adjustments to and from. Not but, abolishing, uh, but adjustments. They can do this. Say again? Not abolishing the practice, but adjusting the practice. No. Which you mean? They said they were going to stop it at one point, remember, Scotty? And then they went back and reinforced that it was going to continue further. Yeah, so. And this yeah. was uh, on a, a holder's watch. Well, this again is how they legalize criminal activity. This is legalized highway robbery, um, as I've heard others refer to it. I've referred to it as that myself. Um, I remember stories over the five, going in five years, we've been on air of reporting like uh, stories of, of a woman going to make a church secretary got the Sunday deposit, I mean the Sunday collection in a deposit bag about to go take it to the bank and got pulled over for a traffic violation and oh where you get this 10,000 cash from we got to seize that. This is legalized highway robbery stories of where people went to the casinos and and won you know uh, thousands of dollars and, and this one guy had it in a bag in a seat and oh where you get oh this is drug money even though he could prove that he had been to the casino gambling they just took it and so they put you in a position to where you then sign away your rights you have all this pressure on you and I bet you a lot of times these people don't even consult with attorneys or or if they do the attorney the attorneys are in on it uh, and getting them just like you know getting people to agree criminal defendants in the court what do y'all say 98% of all cases end in plea deals because they threatening them the whole system is against them they know they, they facing all these years in slavery oh I'll, yeah I'll plead guilty to lesser charges than only be two years a slave as opposed to 20 years a slave or I'll sign away this you can have my car you know just don't take me to jail oh man so, man, it's just legalized. And people, again, you have to be, you have to be very uninformed or very, very brainwashed to make the comment 
that this is the best place on the face of the planet. If you don't like it, leave it in. It's worse than all these other countries. And sometimes the people who say these things never been to another country. I have. And we have been grabbing stories from all over the world. And yes, it's bad in other places, but it is bad here. I, I don't think China, Cuba, any of these uh, uh, places that the media demonizes, I don't hear about these type of stories. Not saying they're not occurring, but I do know that where I live is the world leader in, in, in uh, prison slavery. Population-wise, production-wise, uh, so all of this is legalized. And then we had those, the law and order. The law is what it is. Yeah, he gunned down that unarmed teenage boy in cold blood, but the jury has spoken, and the law is the law. I have no respect for the law because they legalized slavery, and this is legalized highway robbery. Yes, yes, it is. They can just shake you down at any time they want to. And we know, we talked about this in the series that came out from uh, one of the organizations, news organizations called Policing for Profit. They've also talked about how it goes on there in Missouri on a regular basis where, you know, they stop you at these traffic stops and get you for speed and check your car. They even had dogs that they would yo, come yo, out honey. who would yo. give false readings and things like that. Yo, honey, don't, could we put a RICO case on them? Well, as a matter of fact, uh, uh, Arch City Defenders uh, just won <laughs> a, a RICO case against, uh, well, that, not Arch City Defenders, that was a Southern Poverty Law Center won the RICO case against the uh, companies that were conspiring with the debtors' prisons in the South. Uh, Arch City Defenders just won where we were first talking about RICO cases out of Ferguson, uh, for the uh, municipalities conspiring to work together against the people based on the Department of Justice, their own report that showed clearly patterns and practices of race-based race, race -based policing, racial profiling uh, in violation of people's constitutional and, and uh, uh, civil rights, on and on and on with the violation. But uh, St. Louis Police Chief came out and said just a couple of weeks ago that uh, that deal is over. The the uh, offer that was extended to the Department of Justice, uh, this is 2017, over three years ago, um, when they had that 200-page report, which detailed, I mean, just crazy. We talked about those reports. We talked about their report for weeks on this program and broke down so many elements and aspects of the absolute truth and fact they put in thousands of hours. I mean, this is, you can't get any more scientific than the information that was produced. And at the time, the St. Louis uh, police chief, St. Louis County police chief was inclined to allow uh, the federal government to come in and work with them to help them change their systems so they could be compliant, so they could stop what was going on. And uh, he just closed the uh, government never followed up on those reports. The government never came and did anything. Nobody ever came back to Ferguson from representing the federal government and enacted any types of change, put any types of measures in place, did anything whatsoever. And at this point, he's going he's going to ride with Trump. He's, he's, they're going to change the attorney general anyway. That policy is about to change. And as far as he's concerned, the door is closed. So, I mean... I don't know what to do for people that that don't 
want to be free when you got the evidence and you got the momentum and behind in their footsteps and you see what they're trying to do to Marilyn Mosby, uh, disbar her and sue her and run her under the under the bus, is they have set up here the coroner said he was it was homicide, and they sit up here saying it was homicide, but didn't nobody kill him. So I mean I I, I don't know, y'all. I, mean, I, I really don't know. When, when we get so much fact on our side, we we don't we don't lie. No one has caught us. No one has disproved us. No one has come on here and been able to contend with it. People, in fact, avoid us because they know that they can't dispute what's being said. <laughs> Somebody asked Reverend wrong. Barber about me one time, your honey. And Reverend Barber was like, "Oh, I encountered him once." <laughs> yeah, see, I don't even yeah, get exactly. I encountered that. <laughs> so, yeah, you, you're right. Yes, absolutely. Rico, Rico cases would be successful. We have documented on this program for all of these podcasts, two hours and two hours plus, just week after week, just dripping with facts that could be used in any state, any municipality, in any federal case, Supreme Court. We could go from your local 200 uh, citizen uh, trailer uh, courthouse or whatever and win all the way to the Supreme Court. I mean, the people will just lie or will just straight up deny the facts, possibly the case. So it's up to the people. There you have it, man. Sometimes all you got left is faith, and I believe we can win this. I'm, I am certain that we're going to win this. And uh, a friend of mine said something at the spoken word event we were at for the homeless, uh, another poet, Bugsy Calhoun, well-respected and well-known poet throughout the southern area and beyond. And he has a poem that I've heard a hundred times. And he said something that was profound and finally kicked into my head. He said, if these are the last days, then we're the last poets. It was pretty heavy. <laughs> like, wow. Uh, shout out to the last poets, uh, my brothers out there in New York, indeed, who have been uh, put into the uh, Af- the, the National uh, African American Museum recently, as a matter of fact. Honoree. Right on. Salute. Salute. Respect. Yeah, man, the last poets, the last warriors, the last abolitionists. Uh, like we talked about the, the other night. I mean, it's it's really that simple. It's the time you live in, this we are the last abolitionists because uh, we either going to end it or the whole thing is coming down. I mean, it really, there really is. We don't have another four hundred years on uh, for settler colonists to take over some land and spend half their time divided uh, in genocide of 250 million native people as well as transporting countless hundreds of millions of African youth from the continent and bringing them here and, and creating a domestic colony we don't have that kind of time we don't that infrastructure doesn't need to be built anymore it's a, it's a self maintaining machine at this point so we're either going to throw a wrench in it that's going to break the wheels and, and end the machine or the machine is going to blow itself up because it can't sustain itself. So one way or the other, you can end it or it's going to go in overdrive till it just explodes. These systems cannot maintain themselves. Capitalism cannot exist without a slave class. The economy cannot continue to be propped up on slavery, on cheap goods and stolen service, on foreign 
currency being dismantled and destabilized. You, you, it just all of the systems that are in play cannot continue. So it's not even a matter of you being able to turn your back or turn this broadcast off or put your head up your ass or in the sand or in the clouds or wherever you're trying to live. It's not going to continue regardless. So the least you can do, the least you can do is die for freedom or die fighting for it. Damn. What he said. Amen to that. Um, I see a lot of that reflected in what happened in 2016 and how we saw the reactions of this, this beast called slavery. You know, we were fighting our behinds off. We were getting some victories. It gotten so to the point that the people were so upset behind the agitation that had collectively occurred from the abolitionists and those fighting mass incarceration that the Department of Justice was forced to act. They didn't do it because they wanted to, because the problem's always been there. The president do it, didn't do it because he wanted to, because upwards to 2012, he never even mentioned criminal justice in his State of the Union speeches. But by this time, in 2016, they had to face up to something, so they said that they would be reviewing their contracts with private prisoners and possibly phasing them out. We found out that it was a bait and switch anyway. Um, and so what they really were saying is that we're going to wait till the end of our 25-year contracts and then take a look at them again. So it was a, a stalling tactic. In any case, the prison industries stock dropped by over 50% in a single day. It was going down, down, baby. <laughs> you know what I mean? And the only reason that we didn't put them out of business that day, the top prison, private prison companies in, in the world, is because Wall Street stopped trading. So we saw that occur with our own eyes in real time and participated in it. And then later on, when Donald Trump become, became president on that very day, which was November 9th, all the stocks on Wall Street took a nosedive except one. And it's easy to guess which one it was, prison stocks rose by as much as 60% in a single day. So this is a beast we're watching get cut and bleed and then heal back again and get stronger. We need to stop it now before it gets too strong for us to stop. But yeah, just saying, we, we've seen it physically, like the, this fight happened with the to and fro, but the hope is still there because they've never had to fight back before. This is the first time in 150 years that they've had to fight back like this. Now, right. I know that uh, we've got about 10 minutes before our next break, so I want to start this conversation that's coming up next with the, the next story. Now, the mayors are the, the bosses of the police department. Am I, am I wrong? Is the mayor the boss of the police department? Uh, honey? Sorry about that. Sorry about that. I muted myself. <laughs> I thought I was on mute and clicked myself. I was already off. Anyway, yeah, as we talked about in uh, Ferguson, uh, the mayor right. and this, and this uh, the city uh, city manager were controlling the uh, the uh, council meetings and telling the council members, "This is all a matter of the record. This is the own city." council's meeting minutes that we read on the air where the city council members stood up and said we need to stop uh, taxing these people with all of these warrants and all of these court appearances and all these fines and driving people to jail and you're killing the people you got people lined up around the block miles around the block which is why they called a blackout on Ferguson 
before the rioting so-called started, before the uprise started, they called a blackout in Ferguson because it was about to be court day. Tuesday, uh, show up at court day, and they know that the lines are literally around the block every Tuesday for the black folks with 27,000 citizens and 35,000 warrants for people's arrest. Anyway, we know that those minutes in that meeting said the city council members said, please let us take on some sort of community service program and we've got other cities we can mirror who are having success by stopping uh, with this predatory nature towards the citizens with this will work. Let's try it. And the city manager said, we're not doing that. And then looked at the police chief and said, you guys got a million dollars last year in revenue that you generated off these tickets and fines and all the shit you're doing. We're going to drive it up. Go get us more millions. And from 2012 or 2010 until 2012, they had gone from a million dollars to $3.2 million off the same 27,000 black folks in that town. So yes, the city mayor and the city managers tell the police what to do and the police do it. Well, I ask that reason because, you know, the fish stinks from the head down. Just like we saw with Donald Trump empowering white nationalists, KKK, white supremacists with the rhetoric and his way of thinking and how he was doing things. The same thing occurs with governors. The same thing occurs with mayors. And this story that I want to come up is, Scotty, you're going to have to play this video for me, actually, too. We're going to start with the first one, and I have it posted on New Abolitionist Radio, where a Michigan mayor, Alan Warren, was caught on tape telling people how he really feels about black people, about old women, <laughs> about uh, just a number of things. And what you'll hear on here, uh, this recorded, secret recorded tape of him speaking uh, happened, and it was released on Martin Luther King's Day. Just, uh, yes, was it yesterday? Yesterday, yes. My time gets mixed up. On Martin Luther King's birthday, while he was having a speech about Martin Luther King's birthday and his heritage, spouting out all these quotes about King and unity with a picture of King behind him, and that video was released right then. I thought it was a perfect time to release it. But there's some things about this story that I'm very upset uh, on, even beyond the fact that it's a damn mayor, the boss to the police, who is empowering the rest of his staff to think as he does. Uh, Scotty, could you play that for us, to chew it up and play it for us? Scotty Reed, I don't know. I didn't see in the notes in the uh, in the chat if he said if he had to step step away, he might not. Um, oh, okay. Be at, be at the well, um, it's uh, yeah, I, I'm kind of going through the I'm list here. of stories, so I didn't get a chance to see the chat. But uh, it's Mayor, Mayor Jim Fouts of Warren, Michigan. He came under fire Monday after audio surface of him allegedly. I love how they throw allegedly in there. Oh. Used disparaging remarks against African Americans and women. And um, hopefully, hopefully we get Scotty back so we can play. Have you heard this, Johanna? By any chance? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, uh, I I saw it come out. Um, the first information talking about it. Um, right now, with what's going on, um, just like you said, from the head down, man. I mean, but again, this is what I'm. I'm, I'm I'm, I'm trying to tamper it down because I start getting into it and, and it becomes more frustration than than words that can help somebody maybe make a change or see things differently and try what we're saying, try it on for themselves and, and see how they feel about it. But yeah, with man. that situation, 
I, I really you got don't. it up, Scotty? Yeah, no, I really don't want to assault our listeners' ears with that foul language um, from him. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure, you know, they can um, check it out on New Abolitionist Radio. But, yeah, I've heard those comments. Uh, you know, I again, um, it's just so many uh, things from watching that clip, so many different angles um, and um, I actually got a video that I had recorded earlier about one aspect of it. But I'm going to just say this about it. I don't know who recorded this guy secretly in this meeting. It had to be a white person because uh, he's not going to be talking like that in front of black people. I don't know unless Clarence Thomas in the room, maybe. But um, So I just want to encourage white people. Uh, to continue to secretly record these races, especially if they're in positions of power. And then expose them, give it to the media. Hell, send it to Black Talk Media Project. We'll put it out there. But this is what we, this is what you have to do because these people are not going away willingly. This guy's pretending like, oh, that's not me on the tape. This is a, a trick of whoever his political rival is. And, you know, the, the uh, audio came from a guy that worked for the Detroit Free Press, but he won't tell you his source. So I'm pretty sure this mayor... Uh, no, he's probably, I hope he's going over his mind right now, trying to figure out all the meetings he's been in. Who could have possibly been secretly recording me? And now he's paranoid and can't trust anyone. But his comments were very vulgar, very misogynistic. Um, um, so, uh, again, I don't, just like some of these videos, man, I just can't give energy to them and watching them. I, I know what happened. And I can report on it, but I don't want to the, assault the listeners' ears with his words. Okay. All right. Well, uh, the say, next time I get a story, I will run it by you first. All right. The, let me the, just uh, say this in connection Max. With, with, yeah. with that, as I, I was going to when Scotty came in, I mean, you said... For, the, I mean, we're discussing the I mean, story, Max. You can, the, you can discuss the story without him talking about niggers and calling people monkeys and chimps. We don't need to be hearing that. We know, we know the language, okay? So we can discuss the story without us keep assaulting our senses with these... What, what did John... What did John Sims call it? You know, he called it visual terrorism because he was talking about the flag. This is audio terrorism. Okay. All right, well, there's another video that doesn't have that part where he says what he's saying on it, which I wanted to uh, hear the uh, people to hear the comments from the local politicians of color, black politicians, and how they felt about what he said. Um, it's if you chew the video, which is there as a reply on New Abolitionist Radio up to 345, uh, three minutes and 45 seconds. It starts right there with their comments about how they feel about it. Well, I'll cue I'll cue that up for you, Max. I'll cue that up for you, but I I'm telling you, man, I'm just kind of not feeling, you know, um, helping these crackers put out their propaganda and what have you. And it was some pretty pathetic responses. Um, you know, from some of those black people that was there, but that's what my video was was about. But I just don't want to hear. I just, I right now, I I don't want to hear it, man. I want to broadcast 
what he said. He called the black mother and the child monkeys, said they had elongated mouths and things of that nature. Then he said he wouldn't have sex with a, he wouldn't date a 70-year-old because they're mean and their cunts are dried up. So there you go. That's that's what he said. What did you do? What he did? <laughs> so, well, anyway, yeah, the other video, I, I want people to hear what the local politician said. It's just that they really don't care. Like, they, you know, we hear this all the time. We're so used to it. It's all right. I can work with him. I can sit down and work now, with him. Now, that's what yeah, I want to focus on. That's what I want to focus on is the illogical responses. There was some appropriate responses. I'm in the wrong place. I'm trying to get to New Abolitionist Radio's page. Hey, our listeners out there, if Scotty Reed feels like it's too raw for New Abolitionist Radio, make sure you check it out because that's got to be some dirty, nasty stuff, and you need to know who's doing it. And this dude looks like some kind of dried old, dried up old lily white corpse from a Nazi general or something from 80 years ago. I, I, I just can't deal with people like this, but this is how he thinks. In any case, here's the replies. I'm trying to find it, Max. I'm, I'm having some trouble over here. I got a lot going on. Um, it's on the New Abolitionist uh, radio page right underneath the mayor video as a reply. And uh, just put it to 345. 345. Okay, 345. Yes. We'll go ahead and jump ahead. But uh, this guy's disgusting. And I'm glad whoever recorded him recorded him. And we need more of this. I want to encourage white people, if, if you really want to truly be anti-racist, um, then you need to uh, conduct these kind of activities against the racists in your midst. Uh, Max, this, is it the right video you said what now? Because this video is like two minutes and 44 it's, seconds. It's on New Abolitionist Radio's Facebook page. The top video that in the Mr. comment Mayor section caught, it's the one right below that as a reply. Okay, it's three three forty five. Yes. Okay, got you. There we go. A beautiful celebration of Martin Luther King Jr.'s legacy through song and spoken word began in Warren just minutes after shocking audio was released of a man, allegedly Mayor Jim Fouts, making derogatory comments. And for him to act like it's okay to call us chimpanzees, it brings tears to my eyes. Who was actually behind the tapes? Why would they take this occasion to hijack this occasion to bring out those tapes? I think that's very... Yeah, that audio ain't too good, man. It's it's a very undermining of the event and the life and the legacy of Dr. King. At the celebration, Fouts said the recordings are fakes. He also introduced the city's new diversity coordinator who tells me that whether those recordings are real or not don't impact his job. I sat across the table from people here in Macomb County who used the N-word and still negotiated with them. I'm not deterred. So if you I am think, not deterred. You don't think it would be a problem leading the city, though, with somebody who says things like that? I believe that I have all of the resources that I need in order to effectively do my job. Yeah, surprisingly, wow. really, most of the people I spoke with there said they're not interested in hearing those tapes and that they believe their community has improved under Mayor Fouts' leadership. And they said they think that's more important than what he may or may not have said behind closed doors, of course. Hmm. 
Guess you got to ask him what he thinks his job is. Mm. First of all, let me point out that those were both black people. The woman that spoke and the man that spoke and active in politics there in the area. The first woman that came out of mouth talking about why would anybody try to sabotage MLK's day? Well, they, they put out the inf- truth information of how this man felt that is standing there with MLK's picture behind him spouting about unity when in reality he's looking at a bunch of niggers. That's what he's seeing. It's from his own mouth. So how does that not affect you? And then the second dude is like, I'm used to this. I have people calling to me in my face while I'm right across the table from them, and it doesn't deter me in the least. But nobody says, resign. He needs to quit. He needs to resign. We don't need nobody to see us as that, as a mayor, and we don't need that kind of influence or empowerment amongst our political or our legal structures or this throughout our law enforcement because the mayor feels that way. Why, how, how are we defending this and have the nerve to let this white woman, who is the announcer on the reporter on the show, declare that, well, nobody cares that he calls them niggers, so let's move on to the next thing. That's exactly what they wanted you to do. They wanted looking for you. They probably interviewed six people, and you were the only two that were like, why would they do something like this? We don't need to hear that. I'm not going to listen to it. They found your ass just like they found Steve Harvey. Well, there was a black man uh, earlier in that report who did have an appropriate response, and I, uh, it's regardless of what I think about the National Action Network, their local representative had an appropriate uh, response, and he's calling for his resignation and and what have you. So they they did interview some people that's like this racist cracker got to go. And um, but again, that one guy, the black guy at the end, he sound like, hey, I'm making money. Uh, I'll do business with anybody, even if they call me a nigger to my face. Now, I don't know if that's what he's saying or if he's saying, I know they say that uh, in their own company, but I'm still going to do business with them. I'm just he's very confused and he confused me. So I don't know where where he's coming from. And so, again, you live in this world and with the current power dynamic, you do have to deal with people like that. But when you get them caught red handed like that, look, you have to take the, the seize the opportunity to get this racist cracker out of office and replace him with one of your own. Or maybe they don't have no aspirations to be mayor or whatnot. But again, it's it's personal aspirations aside. You know, show some some self respect. Show some self respect. Okay, how dare you dishonor King's legacy like that? Of that it, it, when he gave his life fighting racism, white supremacy, and then you you know that's that man on that uh, radio. And then you're yep. giving him a podium, a place of, man, at, at the King Day celebration? Come on now, y'all. Y'all looking mighty foolish. Y'all looking mighty That's foolish. Or mighty you got confused. the guy out there during the King celebration, not the fact that the information came out during the King celebration. That's the same crap the Democratic Party pulled. Oh, WikiLeaks is so terrible. But the problem is the messenger. The messenger is the problem, not the information. We're about to have an election. You should have never ratted on us at the last minute. That's terrible. You should be well, in prison you know for that. What? That's what he said. That black community needs to handle them black people. 
If they are in positions of power, if they in elected positions, well, then y'all know y'all got to run a candidate to replace those people because uh, uh, I wouldn't want them representing me. I am not confident in, in, in their abilities because they're emotional, they seem confused, and then they're in denial. This, you got the man on the tape. You know that's him. He has a particular way of speaking. And just to say, oh, I don't even want to hear it. Oh, things is good here. It's good here on this plantation. It's good. And we don't want to mess that up. So you people that, who, why y'all trying to start this trouble up? Okay, y'all get me. Now I'm starting to quote Django, who was mentioned earlier. <laughs> you know? So, man, it's disgusting. Your honey? Uh, basically, what I what I said, you know, when the when the uh, audio was playing, when when the brother said, you know, uh, I, I'm I've got all the tools I need to do my job, you know, this thing that we're dealing with, man, is uh, it, it sometimes it's subtle, you know, and I can understand the average person maybe not picking up and, and looking at you know hardcore abolitionists or researchers or commentators or you know political. Uh, scientists or people that study history I mean people that have passion about information I can understand that the average Joe that, that got other things on their mind and don't care not picking up on the subtle but this ain't subtle <laughs> this is a kick in your balls like I mean you can't get you can't get no more obvious than what uh, this man has said the, the, the mayor and you also cannot get any more obvious than the obviousness of these Negroes who are co-signing or going along with or allowing or deflecting uh, you know th th this BS so as cowardice as it is and as ridiculous as it seems because they're obvious with they cooning and buffooning it's just as pathetic all the able-bodied right-minded righteous strong, upstanding, respectful, educated, Christian, conscious, whatever you call yourself, black folks, did hear this and know this is BS and go back to watching the game. Go back to clicking on porn sites. Go back to inboxing girls on Facebook and liking big booty pictures and do whatever people doing that they think is, is a fitting thing to do for the end of the world. So, I mean, I'm pissed that the Negro is doing it. I can't stand the white man that said it. But really, there's a massive number of people that could give a shit. And they the main ones I want to put my foot in their ass. Sorry. <laughs> Word to that. Man. Tell us how you really feel, Johanna. You know, um, you know yeah. that's not Warren, Michigan, which I used to live in Detroit as an adolescent. Uh, so I've been to Warren, uh, been, been to Flint. Uh, Warren's not that far from Flint, okay? And and those particular black representatives, let's just call them what, what they are, the black representatives, black leaders, these are leadership class now, and it's the black leadership class in Warren, Michigan, and they remind me of the black dude that they appointed in Flint to do the water thing, oversee the water quality, and all, and he went along with that. Ain't he in jail or something? Didn't he get convicted? This is what this is this is again. 
this is why I say there's no 100% unity possible among any group. I've never believed that. I'm just looking to unite with like-minded people that want to abolish the system of slavery that's based on racism and implement a system of justice. I work with anybody, anybody. But just cause your skin color, you know, to quote public enemy, every brother ain't a brother cause of the skin color. Right. And we have to confront this fact that we have people who are not, who are representing uh, or or they may be elected, they may be picked out by the media, but the so-called black leadership class has terribly failed my generations, the generation that came after me, uh, um, and my grandson. I'm trying to make sure that I don't fail my grandsons and my daughters. So, yeah. It's sad, man. One thing I would like to oh, let me just say this on, on yeah, yeah, on this same subject while we're still around, you know, like this was a, a city in Michigan, and like you said, a mayor there, and Scotty was saying, area not far from Flint. And like you said originally, Max, about this whole story, the 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 rotting starting at the head. I mean, we know that Governor Snyder still needs to be charged in the Flint crisis himself. I mean, so yes, the, the yep. governor, but Everything that he's done as far as over the years we've reported on this program specific to slavery, his importing of uh, and housing inmates from out of state to generate revenue in, in Michigan. Their prisons are already overcrowded as it is. His continuing to renew contracts with companies like Aramark that provides the, the uh, commissary, the food that the people have to eat and the food has repeatedly been poisoned. It's been found with rat poison in it, been found with mold, all sorts of bacteria, just on and on and on with with violations of people's human rights, constitutional rights, civil rights, on and on and on and freaking on. It's not. It's almost like that quote they had from Martin Luther King on his birthday the other day, where they was talking about if anything good happens in Mississippi, then they start at least they start to improve. Like basically saying at this point ain't nothing good happening. So if one good thing comes out, hell, that's an improvement. This I mean, also this is. Go ahead, Johan. I'm yeah, this sorry. is what's going on, man. This is what's going on in the state. So I'm not surprised the governor gets away with what he gets away, literally gets away with murder, because Michigan is the state where we reported on also. Was it was it Michigan or was it Minnesota? I'm pretty sure it's Michigan where they had the women that they had tied, hog tied, and had them laying on their bellies, starving them, and uh, washing them with hoses in the middle of the prison floor for days at a time, torturing them. Nothing came of that. This reminds me of uh, also... Clinton supporters, the black misleadership class that was throwing behind their support behind Hillary Clinton and ignoring all the racism, you know, in denial about her role in what they call mass incarceration, but a continuation of slavery, her role in regime change, the the foreign policy of overthrowing non-white countries, murdering thousands of people to take whoever is in power out of power so you can install your puppet all right and so these people that's in denial about this warm uh, uh mayor's racism there's a lot of people that are in denial about racism as it pertains to the democratic party and the clintons spe- specifically and it's a problem and right now a lot of people you know giving their energy uh in, in saying pointing out that Donald Trump's a racist, well, it don't take much. But but what about Hillary though? Why you keep ignoring that? 
So just admit that we didn't that we had two races run in the last election that have done harm to black people and that we uh, as a people are politically immature to find ourselves in, in such a position and giving our support to people like this. D, 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 and, and man, please. Well, I would, uh, I want to play something in a moment, but I want to make a statement first. Um, Scotty, I'll put a link there in the chat room for you uh, with something I want to play. We're working directly with uh, Sister Crystal Roundtree from the Millions for Prisoners March on Washington this coming August. And that's our opportunity to do just what Scotty said, to cross boundaries, to work together, to form a coalition. And I'm watching it form already, and it's already impressive, and it's going to get much more impressive. We're going beyond boundaries, beyond, you know, the things that separate us to come together for one cause in August, and I believe that we can make some changes on that day that will go far and beyond anything you can imagine. Trust me when I say this, I'm not going to give you all the details because it's not something we should be doing. It's giving all the details of what's going on, but this is going to be different and special. And you need to be a part of it no matter where you are in the United States or even abroad. Because from what I understand, we're having uh, allies who are coming together to uh, participate in this event in one way or another from overseas. So in honor of that, and in honor of Martin Luther King's birthday yesterday, I would like to play this clip. All right. um, Okay, give me just a moment, Max. As I get there, Facebook tends to drag on my browser. And um, it causes issues sometimes with the audio. Give me just a second as this loads up. Make sure that you listeners go to Millions for Prisoners. That's Millions for, as one word, space prisoners on Facebook, or Millions for Prisoners Human Rights March, or Millions for Prisoners March of Washington. I think that is an answer to that myth. And it is that time is neutral. It can be used either constructively or destructively. And I'm absolutely convinced that the forces of ill will in our nation, the extreme rightists in our nation, have often used time much more effectively than the forces of goodwill. And it may well be that we will have to repent in this generation not merely for the vitriolic words of the bad people and the violent actions of the bad people, but for the appalling silence and indifference of the good people who sit around and say, wait on time. Somewhere we must come to see that social progress never rolls in on the wheels of inevitability. It comes through the tireless efforts and the persistent work of dedicated individuals. And without this hard work, time itself becomes an ally of the primitive forces of social stagnation. And so we must help time, and we must realize that the time is always right to do right. The time is always right to do right. And this is the time, August 19th, Washington, D.C., March on Washington, Washington for Prisoners. We are there to get rid of slavery. That's what we're going to be there for, to uh, demand a constitutional convention, to remove the exception clause, among other things. So be a part of history in this 
and let's show them that we don't need mainstream media to let you know what's going on by sheer numbers. You are going to find out. Well, Max, I, I do want to let you know uh, we only got like six minutes um, so that I can probably, properly properly uh, get us uh, the next program on air on time. So we will have to, uh, what, who is our writer and uh, our abolitionist? We're going to have to shorten those. Okay, let me just uh, say the names and one thing about the abolitionist profile. A writer of the 21st century Underground Railroad um, is Reginald Adams, who was exonerated May 12, 2014, after spending 34 years in prison for a murder he did not commit. You can find his story on New Abolitionist Radio. And as um, an addendum our, to, to that, a special mention to Oscar Rivera Lopez, a Puerto Rican freedom fighter, spent 30 years in prison. Um, I was actually on an article earlier today where he w- where this writer falsely wrote that the organization that Oscar was part of were trying to overthrow the federal government, and that's simply not true. Uh, Puerto Rico, like the U.S. Virgin Islands, like Guam, like Hawaii, like the U.S. Samoan Islands, like a whole lot of other places that I probably don't even know the names of, these are occupied territories. These are colonies. The Puerto Rican people did not have a plebiscite or any kind of election and say, hey, we want to become this colony of the United States. No, they were invaded. They were invaded. It was a violent takeover of their uh, of the uh, um, uh, indigenous people, and um, he was struggling for Puerto Rican independence. And he was his sentence was commuted by President Obama today. So welcome home, uh, freedom fighter, former we can now say former political prisoner Oscar Rivera Lopez. Word, welcome home, brother. Uh, as far as our Abolitionist in profile, let me just say that it is uh, about who we call Uncle Tom. And that word is going on around now, used as an insult, when the fact is that Uncle Tom was not a sellout. And the only reason he allowed that misconception about him to circulate is because it erased suspicion from him as an abolitionist. With that narrative in play, he was able to free more enslaved Africans than their descendants. You know, I'm kind of tired of us using that example, too, because it's not even a true story. Instead, let's use King Herod, a Roman puppet who sold out Jesus Christ himself. I'm just saying, why does the example of ultimate betrayal have to be a black man, especially since it's not a true story? So if you're running around calling somebody Uncle Tom, you need to look on New Abolitionist Radio today and find the truth about who this man was. He was a hero to us all, and his name is Josiah Henson. Josiah Henson, I remember him, man. I tell you, um, we've been doing this for a long time, and we had to recycle some of them. Um, so, again, that's just evidence to me that it don't take no million abolitionists to win the fight. You know what I'm saying, Max? It, it, it You mm-hmm. know, it, that a few dedicated people can change the world. And I know that sounds cliche, but I'm starting to believe it. I have always believed that there has never been a time in history when the actions of one person was not enough to change everything forever. I mean, Imagine look what at you what you're do doing, Max. 10 or 20. 
I mean, you look mm-hmm. at what you're doing. You're, I call you the Johnny Appleseed of abolitionism because you travel to different places, spreading the word of the abolitionists. Me, I'm tied to 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 the station, uh, but I engage in what Malcolm X called the most powerful entity on the face of the planet. I have built this entity and using it for abolitionist uh, uh, material. I mean, excuse me, propaganda. And then we got Johanan, a, a dedicated research and activist and actionist in, in his own right, doing work in, in not just his home state, but across the border in, in Missouri. So, I mean, again, taking it back to the beginning of the program when we open it up with Common and, and his fellow artists singing that abolitionist song about slavery and telling those who are suffering that freedom is going to come Oh man, we are making an impact. We gonna change the world. Okay, looks like we lost Max. Uh, Johanna, did you have any final comments before we wrap up? Okay, we got Max back. Uh, Max, you there? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, do you have any? Yes, uh, sir. You, I'm always here. Had, you always had a final word, Max. Yes, Johanna, you want to start us? Yes, indeed. I did have something to say as an ending to this all, and it's in regard to a quote by Harriet Tubman where she said, never wound a snake, kill it. For those that don't know, she was talking about slavery and white supremacy being the snake. So y'all really need to stop trying to reform a crime against humanity. Get the hell out of our way and let us shoot slavery dead right now before it gets stronger. Remember, that abolition is a reason for a revolution. So we can finally know some peace. Peace. Peace.